Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Corner. Llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud. Marca el Arsenal. Marca Olivier Giroud. Gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. Goodly morning to you. Goodly morning. How, How are, are you today? I, I, I'm okay. I'm hungry. I'm really? Bit, yeah, I'm a bit oh. hungry. I didn't have much breakfast. I had an egg. A solitary egg. Solitary egg. Yeah, scrambled. It was delicious. Mm. I'm, not, mm. I'm not suggesting the egg was in any way bad. It, it was just... Maybe not enough. So now I'm sitting here at whatever time it is, quarter past 11, feeling a little bit hungry. So, yeah. Well, let's rattle through this and you can get... What would you like, ideally? A bacon sandwich? I, I Yeah, I'm pretty much open to anything at this point. Um, but yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll figure out lunch at some point in, in the future after we've done this, because this obviously is the priority today. It takes precedence. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, tell me this. How are you? Uh, Edinburgh Festival is over Mostly, yes. mostly. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is effectively over. Literally, uh, my social media timeline is full of friends who are on the train home. I, for some reason, am doing one more show at seven o'clock. But that did not stop me going out last night for the end of festival party. So if my voice sounds a little uh, ragged this morning, okay. that's, that's why it is. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, wise decision, of course, to do, uh, to do another show when everybody has left Edinburgh now. I mean, genuinely, it's a 175-seat venue, and I think we've sold about 10 tickets, so <laughs> it's going to be an intimate setting. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. It might be a bit of an odd one, but right. uh, it's been a, a lovely month. Oh, and I'd like to say thanks to all the listeners of this podcast who've come along. I've had plenty of people come up to me and say, oh, came along because of the, the show or, or the or things I've done on the blog and things like that, so that's been lovely. Very cool, very mm. cool. So a successful month, all told. All told, been lovely. All right, and it's uh, it, it looks like it could be turning into a successful enough month for for Arsenal as well. How quickly things change. It yeah. is the mood is much much lighter than it was this time last week or the week before. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, amazing what winning a football game and almost. I mean, I, I'm sure we can say that we've signed uh, the two players at this point. They're not official official, but they're as good as official as you're going to get. It looks that way, doesn't it? I mean, it, when Arsene Wenger's talking about it so confidently in public, you and they, the players have had medicals, you pretty much know mm. they're done deals. All right, well, look, we'll, we'll touch on the signings um, in a few minutes, but I think we should focus on the football and mm. what was, first half in particular, a very impressive Arsenal performance against Watford. Yeah, it seems to be. I mean, I, I've only seen uh, extended highlights, so uh, you'll have to forgive some gaps. But it looked like we were very dominant. And 3-0 up at half-time, I mean, that's pretty emphatic, isn't it? And, and yeah. what was, I guess, most exciting, most encouraging? I mean, we've said this last season, but the way that Meza Erzo and Alexis were combining so effectively uh, was really promising. And I think, like, without wanting to put place too much emphasis on any individual, him coming back into the side did seem to make a, a tremendous difference. Yeah, it is. It, it does make a difference when you've got like a really good player. <laughs> yeah, that can help. That it's can help. funny, I, you know. Um, but no, I thought I think it's very true. And obviously, the the relationship that he has with Alexis Sanchez is there for all to see. I think Alexis looked an awful lot better having uh, Mesut Ozil in the side as well. It almost felt like, you know, he knew he had somebody who was on his wavelength. 
you know, that he could play with, that he could try things with. Uh, a couple of times before um, we opened the scoring, they they clicked very nicely. And it was interesting as well, I think, because you know the way Alexis likes to drift and he, he comes wide uh, and picks up the ball and drops a bit deep. It was interesting to watch that the man who was getting into the position where Alexis should have been or where you want your striker to be was Mesut Ozil. Yeah, well, as we saw on his goal, I mean, making a darting run into the penalty box to to, to nod home. I mean, mm. that's uncharacteristic, you'd have to say, for Ozil. But as Arsene Wenger said many times, that's exactly what you need to do if you're going to play that number 10 role. You need to contribute uh, with goals and you have to make the right runs in order to get there. I thought... I thought the same thing. I've been thoroughly unconvinced, really, by Alexis through the middle. But somehow you put Meza Ozil behind him and the whole thing looks a lot more palatable. Yeah, yeah. It was a very good first half, I have to say. Um, you Theo know, Walcott looked dangerous as well, I thought. Yeah, I thought Theo Walcott was good. And, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've had plenty of things to say about Theo Walcott um, on this podcast over the, the last few months. So credit mm. where it's due. Um, you know, I thought he worked hard. He looked dangerous. I think he's... A player who might benefit, we will obviously talk about Granit Xhaka in a bit, but I think he's a player who might benefit from somebody who can who can spread the ball from deep, somebody who can put a pass in behind the defence from deep. We saw that with Xhaka creating him a chance, but I think there's something... Um, he's working harder. There was a moment where uh, all of a sudden he popped up towards the left-hand side and nicked the ball off uh, a Watford defender who took him out and picked up a yellow card. And you're thinking, but that's Theo Walcott actually getting involved. And I just saw something on on Twitter here uh, from at LG Ambrose uh, Lewis who said in a tweet that Theo Walcott has won eight tackles in 270 minutes this season. In all of last season, he won 11 in 1,300. 375 minutes so perhaps it speaks to greater application uh, from Theo Walcott that maybe that's what we're seeing and uh, I think Arsene Wenger said something something similar enough after the game he said if he can maintain this level of focus then he's confident Walcott can have a much better season than he did last season yeah well I mean it seems that uh, that the change in him is a, a psychological one really I mean we've noticed that in the past about Walcott when he's got motivation usually in the form of a contract extension he produces his best performances you know the flamini effect can take hold uh-huh. uh at the moment i don't think he's, he's anywhere close to the expiry of his contract but i think his reputation's probably over the past few months has been kind of at, a, at its all-time low that's ever been at arsenal i think that's fair to say in terms of the way he wasn't used at the back end of last season missed out on the euros so perhaps he has he's fighting back and i have to admit i'm not necessarily so, sure i saw that in his character so it's a welcome change. Yeah. And maybe he's reacting to the fact that, you know, somebody like Lucas Perez is coming in, somebody uh, who ostensibly is being signed as a striker, but who could definitely play from the right-hand side mm-hmm. uh, also as part of an attacking front three. So maybe there's a bit of a reaction there. Um, maybe it kicked in towards the end of last season as well, because the criticism was, I, I don't think it was... Uh, all unjustified in any way. Maybe it went a little bit over the top in certain ways, but you know that that moment at Sunderland, I think, swung it for a lot of people where they thought, "Well, look, if this guy won't even get stuck in for a tackle, then what's the fucking point?" Um, and then he was posting videos during the summer, wasn't he, where he was like doing extra training and weight training? And there's a picture um, from the from the uh, Watford game where he's taking a shot and you're looking at the muscles on his legs and it's like, holy fuck, he's really kind of bulked up a bit there as well. Yeah. So maybe he, that is a reaction to, to everything that's gone on. And look, 
you know, if there are reasons to be critical uh, about a player, I think people will be critical. But at the same time, if a player responds to that criticism and works harder and does better, then th- there's room for for praise for that too. So yeah, I thought I thought he was good, Theo Walcott. Um, what do you make of him being stationed on the right hand side again after after all the back and forth? I just I, look, I don't get it. I don't necessarily understand it. To be perfectly honest, uh, obviously he wants to use Alexis as a striker at this moment in time, and he looks at Walcott as the best bet uh, for the right hand side given the options that he has. Of course, Joel Campbell is gone. Uh, Alex Iwobi is injured. So it's between himself and the Ox, I think, uh, for for the right-hand side. I do wonder maybe if when Serge Gnabry comes back, he might get a little uh, look into the team, perhaps on the, on the left-hand side. But for the moment, look, I mean, when it comes right down to it, where has Walcott played his best football for Arsenal? And it is from the right-hand side. And it is as part of a... Uh, a front three that's quite mobile and maybe one that can strike from deep. So perhaps we're seeing the team being set up a little better to suit his qualities. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be a player that uh, that convinces 100%, but that's true That's true of many. But look, if he can keep it up, then fair play. I'll doff my cap to him, and he, he played well, I think, against, uh, against Watford. But, I mean, there were other good performances as well. Alexis won the penalty, got clotheslined. Mm-hmm. Uh, he scored the second goal. And uh, he obviously created the third goal as well. So as an all-round performance at, at centre-forward from Alexis, it was a lot better than we've seen. Yeah, and there was a lovely move as well down the left-hand side where he combined with Ozil, played a quick one-two and was denied by a good save from Gomez. But mm. I, I thought he was very good, very productive, uh, a big improvement in his performance. And uh, yeah, like you, I sort of wonder how much of a catalyst Ozil might have been for that. But yeah, going forward, Ozil looked very strong. I mean, some question marks over... Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, maybe mm. we'll come on to that a bit later on. But I thought, obviously, hugely intriguing was the the midfield partnership with uh, Santi Cazorla and Granit Xhaka. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it worked. It yeah. worked. Um, there was a moment in the first half where um, an Arsenal player went charging down what, towards our left-back position and went in with a crunching tackle, sort of uh, hooked the ball out with his heels, and I was going, wow. I'm really liking this Granit Xhaka fella. And then it turned out to be Santi Cazorla. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there is there is that to his game as well. But maybe the Cazorla is the link man between a deeper lying midfielder. And you could look, you looked at what Xhaka did uh, and the way that he passed the ball, the way that he looked to move the ball quickly from deep positions, uh, either spread it wide or look over the top. He created a great chance for Walcott, as I mentioned earlier. You know, I, I think that combination worked very well. And, you know, when you've got that different range of passing before, it was like, okay, let's get the ball to the final third, give it to Mesut Ozil and see what he can do. Mm. And I think teams can can organize themselves to counter that to a certain extent. Is that, okay, well, let, let's sit deep, sit off them, don't deny him any space to pick a pass. But now when you've got like this, this almost like a twin threat where they're going, well, do we drop off and deny space? for pacey players like Walcott and Alexis. If we do, then we're creating space for Ozil in the midfield. Uh, and if they do try and crowd out Ozil, then they're leaving space in behind for for the likes of Walcott and, and Alexis to get in behind. So I think that's a very interesting development in, in the way that we're going to play this season. I think you're absolutely right. Basically, you know, Ozil would like to drop into those gaps, but the def- uh, midfielders can drop deep and close him down. Suddenly, if you've got two guys in uh, Xhaka and Cazorla, mm. who can pick out passes from deep, it makes it that much harder to defend. And I love those, 
you know, pinged crossfield passes that Xhaka does out to the right wing. You know, they we mentioned Walcott earlier, but they're perfect for him. They're getting behind the fullback, chase onto those. Uh, I thought that it brings lovely variety to the play. Yeah, I I was really encouraged by it. I mean, obviously it'll be interesting when Aaron Ramsey becomes available again, how he fits into that. But for the time being, it was the first game really this season where Arsenal have been able to control possession so effectively. And it's because we had three brilliant ball players in the middle of the park. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's going to be very interesting, as we've said over the last number of weeks, to see what exactly he's going to do with the midfield because, you know, he's got Coquelin, he's got Elneny, he's got Wilshire, he's got Ramsey on top of Xhaka, Cazorla and Ozil. It's like that mm. is a, a wealth of talent and quality and depth in there uh, to varying levels, of course. But uh, how is he going to keep them all happy? Is he going to be able to keep them all happy? Uh, you know, it is a it is a problem, but it's one of those archetypal good problems for a manager to have. I think, um, you know, given the yeah. way we pick up injuries and what have you, you know, that there'll be there'll be plenty of football to go around. But if he if he can keep playing this combination, if that keeps working, if that keeps developing, then you know, other players are going to have to wait for their chance. Exactly, exactly that. But I've you know, Jacques. Uh for all the fuss that has been over our lack of transfer activity in, in the, the bits and pieces I've seen of him, I think he looks like a terrific addition. Uh, so that's very exciting. And I suppose it would be remiss to to talk about the game and not talk about the other the other summer signing, Rob Holding, who yeah. looked very, very assured at the back. Yeah, I mean, I think it really helps playing alongside Lauren Koscielny. I think that's a big advantage for a young player because... You know, he, he'll have all the advice and all the talking from uh, not only Koscielny, but he'll have Petr Cech behind him as well, um, w- which will be a real help for him. But he has looked tremendously assured and looks very good in the air. His passing mm. was fantastic the other day. I think he went through the first half with 100% passing. Um, you know, and Watford's front two aren't, uh, aren't jokers in any way. You know, I know they're not... Um, well. You know, Trodini's a thirty million pound player. Let's not forget. Yeah, this is very true. But you know, they're big, they're physical, they're strong. Uh, they work hard up there, and I, you know, I think there was a lot to like about Holding's performance. Again, I'm sort of stepping back from it a bit because it's only his third game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think we jumped to conclusions far too quickly on both sides of the spectrum. If a player's good enough, or if a player's not good enough, I don't think three games is any. Um, any length of time to judge, but from what we've seen so far, he, he does look—he does look a very promising prospect. And maybe just being taken out of the uh, the firing line a little bit when we get Mustafi in, etc., um, might do him some good as well. But yeah, he was—he was very good defensively. We looked pretty assured. A little bit more wobbly in the second half. Certainly a period when Watford got got way back into the game. I think they were a little bit lucky with the goal that they got, the way the ball pinned around or pinballed around our area. Uh, they got a bit of a lucky break. But, you know, at 3-1, it was a little bit hairy because you have that you have that thing in your mind, don't you? You can always see a way that Arsenal can collapse. Um, yeah. But ultimately, um, ultimately, we I think we controlled the game pretty well. We probably should have had more goals. When you look at the chances that we created in the first half, Gomez made a lot of saves. Uh, in the second half, we had really good chances, which we we wasted. Oxley Chamberlain wasted one. Alexis wasted one, I think, as well, uh, when he could have passed to to Walcott, who was wide open. There were some great crosses went across the goal. You know, I think in general we were really good value for the win, so it was good to see. Yeah, I think that one of the issues, and and Arsene keeps referring to it in his post match press conferences, is that 
you know, we're, we're not as fit as we need to be, really. You know, that, mm. and, and in the second half of games, we suffer accordingly. Uh, but fortunately, if you build up a 3-0 lead by half-time, you've got enough of a cushion to survive that. But yeah. once the international breaks are over, you'd like to think we can maintain our intensity uh, for longer into games. Yeah, yeah. And the inter- international break might uh, help those players gain a little bit of fitness and a bit of physical match sharpness and what have you. Um mm. Because obviously training and playing with Arsenal will do that, but it's it's got to be the same when they're playing and training with their country. So you know, if we can avoid injuries and those players come back a little bit fitter, a little bit better, then I think we're we're ready to go. We're ready to go. So yeah, it's it's much more encouraging, and it was it was a good display. Well deserved three points. Yeah, and as we said at the top, it's really lifted the mood. I mean, it's not just that; it's the the transfer market news as well. I suspect, but together, it's had a very transformative effect and uh, thank God really because it was it was looking awfully gloomy not too long ago. It was, it was but you know the, the, there's perhaps an element of better late than never with the with the mm-hmm. um, with the transfers but Arsene Wenger was saying they worked very very hard on on these deals um, which one will we touch on first? Um well maybe Mustafi because it you know it's the one that's been going on the longest mm. hasn't it? It feels like some time uh, since since the links first emerged, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what do you, what do you think was the holdup? Well, price, I would imagine. Yeah, um, it seems like Arsenal wanted to come in with a, a low offer, and although I don't think they've, they they haven't. Uh, is it been made clear? Has it been reported anywhere if they've actually paid his release clause, or did I, they just? I, I, I don't know if that's been. But David Ornstein said the fee is going to be in the region of thirty-five million pounds. So I don't know what his release clause was, but it must have been fairly close to that. Yeah, I think uh, I'm just well. According to various reports, uh, he had a sort of fifty million euro release clause, which is about forty-two million pounds. So it's not a million miles away. Um, and I, I basically think that they were haggling on price and then, you know, maybe it, from what David Ornstein's been reporting, there was some sort of consideration of, well, we have this budget, we'd like to get a centre-half and a centre-forward. Uh-huh. And I guess once they realised that they could get Lucas for a relatively small amount in, in modern terms, you know, like £17 million is not crazy at all for a centre-forward in the current market. Yeah, Maybe they then felt, well... Having secured that, we can now stretch a bit further in order to get Mustafi. Mm. So, look, a 24-year-old German international speaks perfect English because of the years that he spent at Everton. He's played a couple of years in La Liga uh, with Valencia, just the right age. Uh, he says that Mesut Ozil gave him the lowdown on the club, gave him a thumbs up on everything. He said, uh, you know, I discovered that it was awesome. Uh, which is a, which is a good thing to say. And, uh, you know, he looks, he looks like he's going to be a very good player. Yeah, surely. I mean, he's had a terrific season last year in La Liga. As you say, no mugs, uh, <laughs> no mugs in the German squad. He, yeah, in theory, he could be a really strong addition, someone who could be Koscielny's regular partner in the sort of mid to long term. Really, you know, mm. he's, a, he's a, coming in at a young age, so we've paid big money for him. But when you look at look at Chelsea, for example, trying to land a centre back going around having 30, 40 million pound bids rejected all over the place. It's very, very difficult at the moment to find a top-class defender. Um, and Arsenal have had to pay big money to, to get one in, but yeah. the, the indications are it could be a good signing. And it's something they they needed to do. Sure. It's interesting, isn't it? Conte was talking about how the transfer market, he was finding it very difficult, mm. it, which is, you know, for a club like Chelsea, to whom money is really no object, that's a, that's a very interesting point of view yeah 
I think so, but almost um, the fact that money's no object probably plays into that. You know, Arsene Wenger talks about the prices rising for English clubs, but when you put a billionaire owner behind that, they're going to rise even higher. Mm. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I think Mustafi feels um, it feels kind of similar to the Shaka signing in some respects to me. You know, we've had to pay probably a little bit over the odds, but we're signing a player who is a regular and an established international in one of Europe's top leagues. Mm. In theory, it should be great. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll welcome uh, him. I think because it's I think it could be because of the bank holiday today mm. in the UK that the deals are likely to be announced tomorrow. Now it could happen today. I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure, but probably admin staff and all those kind of people um, won't be around and, until tomorrow. So I think that's what they're talking about, uh, why they're talking about Tuesday uh, for the announcement on on these deals. So look, um, we said on this podcast a number of times that it wouldn't be a surprise if the forward that we signed was somebody nobody had expected, that nobody had spoken about in the newspapers, that nobody had really uh, considered as a, as a possible option. Somebody from out of the blue, somebody a bit left field, and that's very much the case with, with Lucas Perez. Mm, very much so. I mean, you know, he, he seemed to be on the verge of a move to Everton. Uh, in fact, I, I sort of know that the deal with Everton was all agreed. The player was very close to agreement on wages, was due to speak and have a conversation with Ronald Koeman to kind of seal the deal. Uh, and then the, the player and his representatives were alerted of Arsenal's interest, and very quickly things unraveled from there. And I think in the space of about three days, this deal went from very much not happening to happening mm. and actually being completed. So, and and he, he had a release clause, which I think enabled Arsenal to swoop in uh, without too many problems. Yeah, But, uh, yeah, it was a, a real sudden swoop, and it would be interesting to know... How exactly? Because I, I know that the Spanish scouts watched him last season, particularly in the first half of last season. He had a very strong start. Yeah, had a run where he scored seven league games in a row, a kind of Vardy esque, you know, explosion. But faded away quite dramatically in the second half of the campaign. And uh, Arsenal, certainly at the start of the summer, were were not too keen to pursue this this one. But I guess you know other options further up the list didn't pan out for them so they've landed with Lucas in the end. Do, do you think that's what it was that maybe they were looking at something else and then became aware or just decided look it's not going to happen for various reasons um let's let's look further down our list. I think so. Well obviously they wanted to do Vardy. I mean Arsene Wenger said something very interesting the other day. He said I thought this would be our easiest ever transfer window because we knew who we wanted. Did mm. you see those comments? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I mean, we knew who we wanted, but we couldn't get them. He said there was a plan, um, but they they couldn't make it happen. So, yeah. So, I mean, we know Vardy was probably part of that plan. Uh, beyond him, Lacazette was one that was mentioned. Yeah. I, I, so, I think this is a difficult signing to to know what to make of. Really, I mean, look. If you want to look at it positively, it's a guy who scored seventeen goals in La Liga last season. It's a guy who's quick, who's versatile, who's left-footed, brings a bit of variety and balance in that respect. Mm. Um, the, the downside is he's someone who, prior to last season, really had a bit of a journeyman career, spells in Ukraine, Greece, never really making a tremendous impact anywhere. Uh, he's not particularly young. I think he's you know 27 going on 28. Yeah. Uh, so it's not as if his, his youth is an excuse in that respect. Um, and he wasn't, he wasn't someone who Arsenal would have taken 
a few months ago, but I think mm. circumstances mean they have to be less choosy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, gambles, gambles can pay off. Yeah, they can. And I, I do wonder, you know, if he was going to go for Vardy, who was basically, I won't say a one-season wonder, but, you know, his reputation was built on that uh, incredible season that he had last year, right, for Leicester. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, he said something earlier in the season, um, he said about the Leicester players, there's a theory that says to go to the absolute utmost of your talent, you need to suffer in life. When you look at the Leicester team, not one career of all these players was obvious, like starting on the red carpet at 18 years of age in the Champions League. Many of the players have been rejected before. Uh, N'Golo Kante, nobody wanted him in France. That's a good explanation for his character. He said, these players had a dream that was not easy to obtain, but when they're in a position to reach it, they're ready for the fight. So do you think there's something that he's looking at you know, he he has surrounded himself with a number of players, and, and I don't think we need to name names, who have had it all from a very, very early age, like mm-hmm. everything. They've had the, the, you know, the big club treatment, um, you know, the, the star profile, everything that goes along with that. None of them have had to go to uh, Ukraine and then stay in Ukraine and then go to Greece and then work their way back to their hometown club, Deportivo La Coruña, like Lucas Perez did. So he's had to fight his entire career to get to where he wants to go. So I do wonder if there's something that Arsene Wenger, when he, when you talk about the Arsenal scouts looking at him and saying, mm, we're not 100% sure, we're, you know, we don't think that this is the guy, do you think maybe Arsene Wenger is looking at this player's hunger and desire and having the chance to play for a big club at 27, 28 years of age as the thing that might make the difference? Maybe. Maybe. I think that's, you know, when we were linked with Vardy, that was kind of the thing that was exciting about it in some respects, wasn't it? For all our question marks over Vardy's character, Mm. you couldn't question his hunger or desire that he showed for Leicester last season. Um, Funnily enough, he then chose to, you know, to not come. But I think you're right, Lucas will... Lucas will be desperate to seize this opportunity and take it for all that it's worth, and he, he certainly won't take it for granted. So maybe that kind of psychological profile is part of what Wenger's looking for. Yeah. Um, ultimately, it will have been his decision. You know, the opinions of the scouts is, is one thing, but he will have made a call based on his own intuition. So if, if Wenger thinks it's the right man, he's, he's relatively decent with his track record with forwards, isn't he? You know, he's not, he's not got a bad eye for a striker. It, it's one where I think we have no choice really but to wait and see. Um, we have to wait and see. I, I, I haven't seen enough of him. Mm. I don't know how he's going to settle. But I think uh, you're probably right. He's not going to take anything for granted. And that, that could be a good thing. Yeah. It'd be quite a mollycoddled squad. Sure. I mean, I think that's, that's something that uh, the Deportivo fans have been saying that is a guy who will fight, who will run, who will give everything um, while he's on the pitch. And there is certainly an element of we've been missing that from from time to time. Uh, and I, I'm really interested to see where exactly he, he's going to play him. I mean, I wonder, does he see him as an alternative to Giroud or as somebody who can also play with Giroud from, from the right-hand side? Uh, yeah, you know, somebody who can allow wide. us to, to stretch the play a little bit. I think that's possible. He has played wide, particularly earlier in his career, although last season mainly through the middle. I mean, what I can tell you is absolutely adored in in, in La Coruña. He's 
he was an icon there. You know, in the final few days of the transfer window, the local papers all just had headlines, front pages with him on, with the the headline, he's still here. Like, they were just clinging to the hope <laughs> that they could keep hold of him. Yeah. They were like, you know, five days to go, he's still here. Um, but Arsenal pushed the deal over the line in the end. I think there was a, a bit of an incentive for them to agree the deal before Saturday. The player wanted it sorted out early, and I think it, it saved them a little bit of money in some complicated Spanish tax law. Mm. So, um, 20 million euro release fee, I think he's... I think he's going to come over on you know sort of seventy to eighty grand a week. It's not a massive outlay in the in the modern market. So Arsene Wenger will be pleased with that. And if you look at what we went for in Vardy, which is a guy with a, a, an affordable release clause, quick, uh, likes to run in behind, experienced, one very good season under his belt. The parallels really are clear when you play. Do, it out do like you think that. maybe that maybe that was part of the delay that? You know, we, we, we saw him go for Vardy and then we were wondering, well, why can't you find an equivalent player? Mm. And maybe he wasn't looking for anything different than this. Maybe he wasn't looking for the the marquee striker signing. Maybe, he's, you know, uh, people have said, well, who is that player? Who is realistically the, the striker out there that Arsenal could get? And, you know, do, do you want to pay 60, 70 million pounds for Lacazette? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, it would be a lot of money. And maybe it would signal ambition, but you're still only getting a Lacazette level player, right? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that 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 big big striker signing was was really there. So maybe that was what they were doing for this. Someone was looking at, okay, well, who are, what what are the qualities we were looking for in Vardy? Where can we find them in other players? And it's taken X amount of time to to narrow it down to to Lucas Perez. Well, maybe as well, uh, knowing that Lucas had a release clause and that that could be done relatively swiftly. Maybe Arsenal were exploring other options, knowing they could come back to this, you know? Yeah. Um, and they have done, and they've got it over the line. And look, he, he's not he's not the dream striker. I don't think he's the striker any of us were. But, but no one, very few people can say who that is. Mm. You know, this, it's not like there are a lot of names floating around anymore. And I think it is better to bring somebody in. I think we have improved our squad. Uh, so... It's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think for all the reservations, I think it's better to have done something than have, let, you know, not attended to the issue. Yeah. And I'm, I'm interested. I have to say I'm interested in him, uh, you know, as a player of his age coming to a club like Arsenal with something, I guess, to prove in a way, because there will be people doubting whether or not he's he's good enough, uh, whether he's the right man. So I, I find that interesting. It's... Uh, you know, he doesn't strike me as a sort of character who is going to immediately go, oh, I've made it, I'm now in the comfort zone. You know, I, I think this is it's quite an interesting one. It might work out, it might not. It might be bang average, it might be better than that, but I'm, I, I'm, there's just something interesting about this one. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Yeah, he's still got a way to go. You yeah. Know? This is a guy who has never played for Spain, for example. He's yeah. going to join up with the squad straight away because he's not part of the international setup. There are still lots of incentives for th- him to chase in his yeah. career uh, and I think you know he's got one on, a, on his Wikipedia page which is he was the runner-up in the Greek Football Cup in 2013-14 he's not won anything so that hunger should be there and that's definitely an encouraging yeah. aspect did you see the video I don't know if you saw it there was um, him during a game against Barcelona um, uh, I don't which, know if I have seen that one right I just put it I put it up on Arsblog the other day um, 
But basically, it's one of those behind-the-scenes kind of videos that Spanish TV do uh, really quite well. You know, uh, all these like weird a, camera a angles. Yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of like. But they were showing him during the game and talking, and he's got his he's got a shirt over his mouth. So he's walking up to Neymar, and he's got a shirt over his mouth, and he's probably going, "You fucking prick! I'm gonna fucking get you, mm, prick, mm. prick!" Whatever. And he's giving it. You know, he's getting chippy with them, which is great. Uh, and he's getting stuck in, and then he's taken off, and he's a substitute, and he's standing on the sidelines, and he's screaming at his teammates, and he's basically doing. The, the role of the manager, you know, he looks like a guy who really gets into it. And again, um, maybe this inherent niceness that we have can be offset by players like Xhaka, like him, who've just got that little bit of an edge, a little bit of a, a spike to them. Um, so from that point of view, it, it, it adds something a little bit extra as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see how he gets on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else um, catch your eye from this weekend? Obviously, the uh, the teams above us keep winning. Manchester City won. Manchester United yeah. with a late winner. Chelsea, Chelsea won. So you know our our joy of winning is slightly offset by the fact that they keep winning. But um, it's still early days, right? Yeah, still early days. I'm just trying to think of any other news. I think it's probably a good thing that Jack Wilshire has not been included in England squad. I think. You know, the, the continual sort of reliance on him despite uh, his inability to prove his fitness and form isn't a healthy thing, either for club or country. Um, so I was actually relatively, you know, I was I was all right with that news when that came yeah. through. Um, just trying to think in terms of the Premier League, anything else? Not particularly. I mean, I think you're right. The Manchester clubs and Chelsea look strong. Uh, and, you know, Everton unbeaten, two wins and a, and a draw thus far. They've got a very, very good manager. I think they might be an improved force this season so another team to think about maybe okay alright we'll probably have some more questions on transfers uh, perhaps in terms of who's going out um, mm. uh, and what might happen before the end of the, the transfer window which is Wednesday at 11pm we'll uh, touch on that and more with your questions in part two Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. The Arscast Extra is brought to you today by Cornerstone. They shave you closer than... James, can I ask you this? Uh, it's, if it's not too personal a question. You know when you're wearing your, like, um, your wrestling man's outfit? Yeah. Do you have to shave, you know, just to stop unsightly hair anywhere? Uh, no, I'm actually not a particularly hirsute man. Right. So I'm all right, actually. I get away with it. All right, cool. Well, look, if you're in a wrestling suit or if you need to uh, shave your bits, you can shave wherever you like with Cornerstone. What you do is you sign up, you get all your shaving bits delivered to you. They'll give you a razor with your initials engraved into it. Fantastic German-engineered razor blades. They've got bombs and gels and all those kind of things, uh, and they're brilliant. The razors are really great. You can sign up right now at cornerstone.co.uk forward slash Arsblog, or you can use the code Arsblog10 when you sign up and you get £10 discount. All the sign-ups help support the podcast, so thank you very much indeed. Check it out at cornerstone.co.uk forward slash Arsblog. So there we go. Lovely. 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 Do it, guys. You know it makes sense. It does. It does. Uh, Shall we... Talk about some of these questions that people just keep bloody sending in every week. Yeah, we should, because they're great. But you know what we should do as well? If anyone out there is listening, um, because neither of us, I'm, I guarantee you, you can't remember this, and I definitely can't remember it. But if anyone can remember what episode it was earlier mm. this summer where we gave uh, the projected totals that we'd spend and mm. what we'd bring in, 
on transfers. If anyone could uh, remind us of what episode that was, we'll obviously touch on it in next week's Arscast Extra because uh, things may still happen between now and transfer deadline on Wednesday at 11 o'clock. So, uh, yeah, drop us a line on Twitter. That'd be great if you can remember. Yeah, we'd like to know how wrong we were. Yeah. I have a feeling I'm more right at this moment in time than you are. I can't remember, though, but I think I am. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I mean, that sounds entirely plausible to me. Uh, Have you got a question? I do have a question. I do. All right. This comes from D at Messet1079, who says, Jenkinson is back in six weeks. Matthew Debushi, going. Callum Chambers, going. How would you handle any Hector injury right now? Well, I so I mean, let's first of all start off. He says going and going for those two players. Is that your interpretation of the situation? Do you think both those players are available for transfer right now? Well, Callum Chambers certainly, because Arsene Wenger said that uh, he he could go on loan. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that in his press conference uh, on Friday. So I expect Callum Chambers to go out on loan. Uh, before the transfer deadline. Matthew Debushi hasn't made the squad for either of the games. Um, uh, some people have noticed that he's no longer listed on the kit builder on the Arsenal shop website. So if you want to get an Arsenal uh-huh. shirt with your favourite player's name on it, you can get Kieran Gibbs, you can get uh, you know some other fringe players. But Matthew Debushi, nowhere to be seen. So whether that's indicative of anything, maybe it's preventative, that they're not uh, just in case something doesn't happen. But I wouldn't be surprised if Debushi left either. So I think that leaves us, you know, obviously with uh, those two players are our backup right backs. Uh, so we do have to think of think of something. Yeah, that's true. Now, one thing to consider is that Mustafi yeah. can play at right back, right? That must yeah. be one of the considerations in why he was the right man for Arsene Wenger, I suspect. This is very true because I got an email from Mike uh, from Germany. He says, I'm a gooner in Germany. I follow your blog. He said, uh, I just wanted to let you know that Mustafi is surely a central defender, but he can play right back very well. He said, mm. I think he played right back in one of the group matches at the World Cup in 2014. That's true. He's and he's, yeah, so he's, uh, he's quick. Um, he's not, I mean, he, he's what, six foot tall, I think. He's not the, like a giant center half having to play at right back kind of situation. Yeah. You know? Um, no, I think, I, think it's, I think it's, you know, it's definitely uh, an option that he could fill in. I don't think that would be a starting position, but if Bellerin was out, you know, you could slot Mustafi in there and you've got other center halves in Gabriel to come back, holding, of course. Yeah. Um, in the longer term, Mertesacker. I, I personally think that we'll be all right. I think that I think that having brought Carl Jenkinson back, I mean, I know there's no option because he couldn't pass a medical anywhere at the moment, but having Jenkinson in the squad, I think Wenger might try and, you know, use him once he returns as a kind of deputy fullback, give him an opportunity to, to mm. take a claim for a place at Arsenal. And I think until that point, having Mustafi who can fill in there, and also, at a push, let's not forget, Rob Holding has played fullback. I know he looks very much like a centre-half, and Callum Chambers struggled when asked to, yeah. to sort of share both roles. But there is that option. I'm not sure that either Mustafi or Holding would be any worse there than Debushi has been in the last 18 months. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's so a fair I point. I definitely would get rid of Debushi. I wasn't, I wasn't keen on his attitude last season. I thought, you know... He seemed, uh, when a player's being that public about how disgruntled they are, it's not really helpful in any respect. No. I, I'm sort of surprised he's still here, to be honest. It can only be because we're struggling to offload him. Um, and then, 
Chambers, I don't know, what do you think about letting Chambers go? How, do you think that's a, a smart move, a, a good move for his development, or do you think he's yeah. taking a bit of a risk? Um, I mean, in, in purely selfish terms, you know, you look at the you look at the right back situation. He could play back up right back uh, for a while, but I think what Arsene Wenger said in his press conference on Friday was that the arrival of Mustafi wasn't necessarily the end of Chambers' Arsenal career. He said it might certainly precipitate a, a loan this season because he does have Koscielny, he'll have Mustafi, he's got Rob Holding, uh, Gabriel to come back, Mertesacker to come back in in January. Um, I think Callum Chambers is at an age or at a stage in his career where he really, really needs to play regular football. He needs to mm. be playing week in, week out um, in order to develop properly. Mm. Uh, I, I think there's the the bones of a really good player in there. But I think his confidence has taken a, a knock. I don't think he played very much at all last season. Um, so it's going to be difficult for him to develop the way that he should without playing. So if he can go somewhere and play on a regular basis, week in, week out, play at centre half, I think we'll have a much better idea of of his potential and whether or not he's a guy who can then come back and, and stake a claim. So for me, it makes sense to, to loan him out. Yeah, I think it does as well. I think it does as well. And, you know, we've, we've still got, even now, we've got Mustafi. We've, well, we're about to have Mustafi. We've got Koscielny. We've got Holding. Mm. Gabriel apparently is better than anticipated in terms of his injury, not too far behind. There is room to let Chambers go out. Mm. So I think... Uh, I think it makes sense. So, but I, I'm not crying out for a right back addition. I actually think, I think we'll manage with the resources that we've got. I think we'll be okay. All right. Okay. Your question. I mean, call me crazy, but there you go. You're crazy. Uh, I mean, cue cue a, a spate of injuries at right back. Um, we've talked about uh, the possibility of you know our, our, our incoming business all being done and dusted, but we've had a couple of questions about. Uh, Daniel Sturridge here, the Highbury <laughs> student, says Sturridge is unwanted at Liverpool. Do you think we should try and sign him? Uh, and then Stephen Paul, who's SJP on Twitter, says it's transfer deadline day. Sturridge becomes available. Swap deal for Walcott or Ox. Would you risk it for a biscuit? Yeah, I, I had a couple of questions on that as well. Uh, at Gunnar underscore DS uh, wanted to know, would Sturridge be a good use of Arsenal transfer funds right now? And also Stanley Stanley Ong82 wanted to know, would you take a gamble on the oft-injured Sturridge? Mm. Um, look, when he's on form and when he's fit, he's a good player. He's mm. a really good striker. There's no question about that. I just, I just don't know how Arsenal, of all clubs, could, could risk that kind of money on a player who's as injured as often as he is and who throughout his career seems to have had issues with the management at whatever club he's been at, right? Whether it's Chelsea, yeah. um, was he at Man City for a while? What am I? He started at City. Yeah. started at City, so he fell out there, went to Chelsea, fell out with them there, gone to Liverpool, has done quite well, but has had issues with uh, previous managers, and of course now he's having issues with, with Jurgen Klopp. Um I'm not sure his talent is is sufficient for that kind of constant uh what's the word I'm looking for here for the constant uh, falling out I mean I think he 
he's obviously got great belief in himself and, and what he can do. I'm just not sure that a guy with that kind of injury record can really cause those kind of problems. Yeah, I know what you mean. He requires a lot of management in every respect. That's a I good think, way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I mean, I don't think it's a goer. I don't think Arsenal, having just signed a kind of speedy left-footed striker in Lucas, are going to go and do another one in Sturridge. Uh, I think our business is done and dusted, really. Yeah. But um, I, And I also think if, if Engel wanted Sturridge, he would have done it before before now you know I think it's been clear for a couple of months really that he might not be as integral to Jurgen Klopp's plans as he was to say Brendan Rodgers and uh, it's a shame in some ways because technically he is almost exactly the kind of player I think we're after you know I think he he would be a really good fit if he was fit <laughs> yeah but um, I think we seem to have decided it's a risk we can't afford and I think justifiably so really his fitness record's so terrible and our fitness record's so terrible it's a marriage you know made in hell isn't it really yeah yeah i mean you could just see it couldn't you You spend like big money on daniel sturridge and he gets injured and everyone goes well what the fuck did you expect yeah he's always injured it's such a risk you know i i I mean again like you i don't think there's any i don't think there's anyone else coming in i think our business inwardly is done for sure um, it would be a huge, huge surprise if, if anything else happened. Uh, Arsene Wenger's already talking about how the squad is, is too big, or he's got a very big squad mm. uh, in terms of the actual numbers, because we do have to have a 25-man squad, um, including X amount of, of homegrown players. So I, I don't see anybody else coming in, and I just don't see how we could take that kind of risk on a, on a player like Sturridge. No way. Mm. I, I, I agree but slightly with a heavy heart because I, I do I do really admire him as a player. All right. Uh, um, Unfair oh Red, at Unfair Red, wants to know, might there be a surprise outgoing on deadline day? And how do you rate the whole transfer window? And before I get into that one, or before you answer, I've got to ask uh, this question here from James Brown, mm. who got on up and asked this question. He said, I gave James five out of five for his beatboxing on Friday night, what mark would you give Arsene Wenger for the transfer window? So um, let's let's touch on let's touch on the surprise outgoing. Let's deal with these in order. So surprise outgoing. Do you think there might be somebody leaving that we don't think or that we don't expect? Maybe. Uh, I mean, I thought I think I've seen a few journalists alluding to the idea that there might be some surprising twists and turns in terms of who goes out. I mean, Callum Chambers and Machida Debushi couldn't be described as a surprise, could they? Um, I think they'll be joined by a couple of others. I I really, I know Arsene's talked about Chubarakpom and Yaya Snogo being part of the first-team squad, but I find it difficult to conceive of how they will be. I think loans, at least, mm. make sense in those cases. Um, I'm just looking down the rest of the squad. There's only one area where there could possibly be a surprise outgoing. And where would that be? That would be central midfield. Yeah, probably. Because we've got Xhaka, Ramsey, uh, Ozil, Cazorla, Wilshire, Coquelin, Elneny. So there's there's maybe room there for something to happen. Maybe. That yeah. would be the only room. I mean, we can't let a forward go, and I don't think we can let any defenders go. Uh, certainly not a, a goalkeeper. Um, so... For me, if there is a surprise outgoing, it can only be from that central midfield area. And really, realistically, 
You know, it's not going to be uh, El Neni who arrived in January. It's not going to be Shaka. Um, so you're you're left with what Ramsey, Wilshire, Cochlear. Mm. Mm. I'd be surprised. I mean, the the one that you would say there's a chance is is Jack Wilshire, isn't it? Um, I, I mean, I can't really see any of that. I, I can't see it either. I mean, you could make a good case for for Wilshire playing regularly because I think he's, he really does need to play on a regular basis now. Yeah. But I, I also think that Arsene Wenger is such a huge believer in his talent and potential that he wouldn't be inclined to to call time on him unless there's something like crazy going on behind the scenes or unless there's something, you know, really bad going on that we don't know about in would terms you, of attitude. But I, do, I don't know that that's the case either. So, yeah. It seems radical, but would you would you countenance loaning out Jack Wilshire? No, I mean, I, I don't think I would get rid of anyone from the central midfield area it's probably the one time that we've had this much depth and this much quality i don't think we've ever had that before you know we struggled for for bodies in central midfield you know think of a couple of years ago when everyone was so injured we had to turn to an on loan at charlton francis cockland to come in and fill the gap I mean, mm. that, that was how stretched we were in there. So we know that this is an area of the pitch in which we can pick up injuries. And we do have a couple of fairly injury-prone players in there. Aaron Ramsey is quite injury-prone. Jack Wilshire himself, of course, is quite injury-prone. Um, so what I would do is I would hang on to everybody. And then in, Ju- in January, reassess where we are, who's playing, who's not playing, how disgruntled they are, how gruntled they are, and then maybe make a decision about one or two if it's a case that you've got to manage your squad in that way to to keep people happy. But no, I wouldn't countenance letting anybody go at this point. What about you? I don't think so either, no. I I mean, there was a tiny part of my brain just sort of toying with the idea of, oh, would it be beneficial for Jack Wilshire to play regular football? I don't necessarily think he's going to He's going to get that uh, at Arsenal. I don't think he's going to be first choice week in, week out this season unless something dramatic changes. Um, but I I think we need the cover. And I think what's nice about the depth that we have in midfield is the variety of options it gives us. You know, we talked about Xhaka and Cazorla as a partnership, but if there's a game where we're not going to have as much possession and mm. we need more ball winners, we have got Elneny, we've got Kokla. You know, it's nice to be able to mix it up and and change it according to the opposition. So, I'm certainly not in a hurry to get rid of anybody at all. So, I, I, I think, I think this is kind of the squad now. I think, with the exception of Debussy and Chambers, I'd be very and Akpom and Sonogo, I'd be very surprised to mm. see anyone else go. All right then. So, what about a rating for the for the transfer window? Uh, mm. I, I I totted up the sums, and I think if I'm right, we've spent when these deals go through. I think we'll have spent 90-something million pounds. Wow. Which is quite a lot. It's an awful lot. It's an awful lot. I'm sure it's probably more than I predicted. Um, And we haven't received any hugely significant transfer fees, have we, to my knowledge? No. No, Uh, there's nobody gone out. Yeah, so look, uh, 35 million for Mustafi, 17 million for Perez... Shaka, 35 million. Rob Holding, 2.5 million. And Takuma Asano, 5 million. That's 94.5 million by my calculations. 
Uh, which wow. could be completely wrong, but I think that I think that's about right. And actually, when you when you add El Neni from January, which was over ten million pounds, um, you know we're over the hundred million pound mark for for twenty sixteen. But I mean, how would you rate the window? Because I think you have to look at it not just how much was spent, but when it was spent. All right, Arsene Wenger, don't just want to rate it by how much it was spent. <laughs> yeah, money isn't uh, everything, man. Yeah, uh, he'd be very pleased with that. I think. Well, I think when it was spent, I think, is an issue. I mean, people will say, well, the window's open, you know, do your business until the end of the window. But I think Arsenal did suffer a bit from from not getting in those players earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think not just when, but how it was spent. You know, it's it's very difficult to assess a transfer window until you get some indication of how well those players are going to do, which we have in the Kessie Mustafi and Perez. No real idea, or to be fair, Asano, no real idea as yet. Um but if you'd offered, I, th- I suppose the way I would look at it is if I was offered this in May, what would I have made of it? Um, it's tricky, isn't it? Shaka, Mustafi, Lucas. It's not bad at all, you know. It's, it's improvements all the way through the spine of the side. And with players who, who genuinely, well, I think Shaka and Mustafi will be uh, regulars. And I think Lucas has a chance to be. I suppose I'd go... We haven't really lost anybody. I don't know. It's really difficult. <laughs> somewhere between... I know I say that a lot. Uh, somewhere between a three and a four, probably. Out of five? Yeah. Right. I think, I think actually, when you break it down, they've done... They have made the additions they needed to make, and, and my primary emotion is one of relief, because knowing Arsene Wenger as I do, conventionally, if he doesn't get his top target, if he doesn't get his Vardy... He leaves it. If he doesn't get his Lacazette, he leaves it. Whereas I feel like at least he's gone, well, I am going to do something. It might not have been the perfect signing, the Goldilocks signing, mm. but it's one that I think will improve my squad. And I think it, our squad looks deep for the first time in a, uh, in a while in, in every area of the field. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a vast improvement. So I'm going to, I'm going to measure it. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say a three. Yeah. Three, for me. Three out of five. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, again, in terms of the depth of the squad and the options available to us, obviously injuries have had a little bit of an effect on that, but um, as we stand right now, I mean, I think you could you could give it a three and a half, mm, four yeah. maybe, because I, I think Mustafi and uh, and Jack are going to be um, pretty, good, pretty good players for us. Um, they look like really good additions. The, yeah. the, the sort of caveat is that we started the summer being like, oh, this needs to be the summer where we go and land the strike. Well, I think, I think that's what it is. I right. think that's the thing that, that colours it in a, in a certain way. Yeah. Um, I mean, would people have been over the moon with Jamie Vardy? I, 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 don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, when it boiled right down to it, I mean, when the excitement of it had all died down, and let's say he'd signed, we would be saying, well, we've signed a 29-year-old who's had one good season. He's still got something to prove at a big club like Arsenal. Mm -hmm. I think we would have been saying that. But I think ultimately people wanted this summer to be the one where we went out and bought the striker, Mm. the striker. Uh, and we haven't done that, and we did leave it a little bit too late to bring in uh, a couple of the additions that we did. And when you look back uh, at the opening day of the season and maybe you look at the Leicester game as well, you know, the the consequence of that was drop points. So from that point of view, it does does affect the rating that you get 
you know, um, that we two idiot podcasters are, you know, arbitrarily giving, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I think that does, I think that does affect it. So maybe a three and a half, uh, for me, uh, because maybe holding is turning out a bit better than we expected. But again, it's, it's early days on that, but you know, you don't, you don't look at this squad now in the way that you did in years past and think, Oh, we're really missing that player or we, we lack some depth here or we lack options there. You know, as you look at the squad, maybe not all the options are as good as people would have liked, but they're there. Uh, and we'll have to see what Arsene Wenger can make of this squad, um, you know, in the, in the months to come. Mm, absolutely. Well, we shall see. Mm. As a man who's been victim of the five-star rating all month in Edinburgh, I feel quite bad. <laughs> the shoe's on the other boot now. Okay, the but before we, rating. before we move on, what, what is this um, about beatboxing? Oh, it's from the show. So right. in the show, um, I perform some beatboxing, but it's very—it's bad beatboxing. It's bad beatboxing. So it's, it's five out of five out of five for ironic bad beatboxing. Basically. Yeah, there's a judge in the audience who has to judge it, and I—I I, this man was selected as the judge at random, and what's his name? He's got a famous name, James Brown. That's it. Yeah, that's it. The real James Brown, and it turned transpired by chance that he was a listener to the show. He came up to me afterwards and was very, very lovely. So, yeah, well, thanks for coming along. Um, right, I've got a question for you. Okay. It's from Devayu Panda, who's at Half Incisor on Twitter. And they ask, what is wrong with the Ox? Looked out of sorts again every time he got the ball. I wish I knew. Is that the case? Because I, I tell you what, I watched the extended highlights, but... On highlights, they don't really put the bits where players sort of just mess up. So no, they don't. I didn't really get that, so you'll have to tell me. Yeah, there were a few moments where, particularly in the second half, where it, whatever whatever he was trying to do didn't work. Um, there were a couple where he dribbled the ball out of play, um, and, and he just seemed to run back. He didn't seem to look particularly affected by it. I don't know whether that's part of his coping process, whether he's, you know, being the opposite of Giroud, you know, when Giroud does something wrong, he's like, ah, um, and, and hands to the sky, whereas Ox was maybe just, okay, that didn't work, you know, keep concentrating and get on with it. And there was a moment where he ran the ball out of play, and then that was followed quite quickly by a moment where he kept the ball really well on the left-hand side and made a very good pass inside uh, into midfield into to Mesut Ozil. It was a lovely bit of play. But, of course, everybody's still focused on the thing that went wrong. Um, I thought he was a bit caught out of position for the for the goal uh, as they came down our our left-hand side. Um, I, I, you know, I just don't know. Arsene Wenger really, really, really wants to give him the chances, doesn't he? He's yeah, trying he very, very it. hard to, to give him the chances in the team. He's playing from the left-hand side, uh, came on against Liverpool and, and scored a goal. Um, I, I, just, I just don't quite know whether it's at this point you can say when it clicks for him, it's going to be great when it clicks for Oxlade-Chamberlain because we've been waiting quite a while for it to click now. But maybe it's a case of just staying fit if he can stay fit. Um, it, it might work out for him, but he doesn't look like a guy that's really progressing. That's the worry. Um, and he's not young anymore. What is he, 23 years of age now? Um, uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not lack of effort for the most part when he has the ball. It just it doesn't seem to be, just doesn't seem to be working for him. I wish I knew why it was. 
Maybe he doesn't want to play on the left-hand side. Maybe he's not comfortable there. But a player of his, with his characteristics, with his, uh, with his stature, with his pace, with his physicality, you know, he really should be able to, to, to do a job. And, and what I think frustrates people is it tends to be quite simple things that go wrong for him. It's not when he tries to do really, really complicated stuff. It's when when he can't get the simple things right, I think, that frustrates people. So, yeah, I, I don't know. But Arsene Wenger certainly seems prepared to, to, to let him let him work through it at this moment in time anyway. Mm. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, it's sort of disappointing to hear, but not particularly surprising. And I guess um, defensively he didn't look too, too secure either, which has long been an issue for him. I think, uh, I, I don't know, I mean, is he going to stay in the side when everybody's... Fit, I don't know. It's sort of you know, he's playing like on the left at the moment, but that's sort of on the basis that Alexis is playing through the middle. Yeah, how long that lasts remains to be seen. Juve will be back in contention after the window. Lucas as well potentially. So uh, yeah, I mean it's it's disappointing that he's not had a great start to the season, but um, hopefully it kind of I don't know. I don't know what to say about Oxlade Chamberlain. He's he's got so much talent. He has everything you'd think you'd need to make it, and yet it isn't clicking. Mm. And one wonders if eventually they'll just have to kind of throw in the towel with him. But it's clear Arsene Wenger isn't prepared to do that yet. Yeah. Arsene Wenger has mentioned a few times it's down to his, not his attitude, but his whatever way he approaches the games. Yeah. You know, he, the, the, this mentality that he he, he overanalyzes or he overthinks things. Himself, yeah, he's apparently. too hard on himself and needs to perhaps be a little freer in that regard. Um, I always think he seems like quite a bright guy, Oxley Chamberlain. Maybe that's working against him as a full Yeah, we've, we've had this discussion, I think, before where yeah. you're thinking, well, maybe he does overthink things rather than just kind of the old water off a duck's back when something goes wrong. So, mm. I don't know. It, it is a bit worrying, I think, at this stage, so. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. All right. Uh, a couple of quick ones to, to finish off. Um, John Barker, at John D. Barker, says, we've signed three captains this summer, Shaka, Perez, and Mustafi. How will this change our attitude? I think it's a great thing. I think Shaka, you can sort of feel the kind of leadership qualities emanating from him, really. I mean, he's got so much presence on the field. Uh, I can't really speak with much authority about uh, Perez. But, you know, the fact that we've, Almost stuffy, to be fair. But the fact that we've signed three players who are identified as leaders at their former clubs is a really good thing. I mean, mm. who's been wearing the armband thus far? It's been Koscielny, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you you know Arsenal's point of view on this. He doesn't really care about who wears the armband, it seems. It's about having multiple leaders on the field. Mm. And when, when you add in guys like Czech, when you add in Alexis, you know, there are plenty of players out there who certainly have a lot of character. So fingers crossed that possible deficiency in the squad has been addressed. Yeah, there was a very interesting moment. It could have been towards the end of the first half. Uh, I don't remember exactly what happened in the game, but Alexis Sanchez is is telling people, calm down. Just doing that, the, the hand signal. Come on, everyone, mm. just calm down. Keep your shape. Get it, you know, keep organized, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and he could have been a little bit of a frustrated figure in the first few minutes of the game. There, there were times he was making runs that, that weren't spotted and he was a bit fed up. You could see, you know, he was doing that, ah, for fuck's sake kind of thing off the ball. But, you know, once he got involved and once things started happening, you know, there was a bit more of that from him. So, so that was very interesting. Uh, that was very interesting to watch. And yeah, look, you know, I, I, I'm, 
unless you can find, we've spoken before, unless you can find that Tony Adams figure, it is about collective responsibility. It is about players, everybody pulling their weight and everybody working together. When you do have players with just that little bit more experience who can add something in that regard, mm-hmm. then I think, uh, I think it can help. It can make a little bit of a difference, particularly, you know, in tight games. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see some of that. Yeah, that would be lovely. Uh, any, did you have another one or did you? Uh, do I have another one? Okay, this one comes from Gab uh, at only one Ozil who says, "Hello, Ars Block. Uh, what is that about? What is it about Ozil's goal that's so fun to watch? I've seen it about twenty times at this stage. I think it's the, I think it's the weight of the cross. To be honest, it's so perfect the way it drops onto his head. No, um, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I think you're wrong. Completely. Oh, what is it? It's it's the header. It's the thumpingness of the header. Ah, for me, that's what satisfying. it is. You're more into the into the build up, into the uh, the provision of the ball. Whereas I, I think it's just the fact that he's there's just something about a thumping header. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. I, see, that's so interesting, isn't it? Perspective for me, it's like it is a thumping header, but it's only able to be because the timing of the cross and the run is is so spot on. It's yeah. so immaculate. When I when I watch that goal. I mean, I don't know what this says about me as a football fan, but the, the main thing I keep thinking is I can't believe they let Alexis cross it. Like, I, it's far too easy for him to get that cross in. Yeah. Um, I find it maddening when I watch it. And I'm, obviously, I'm delighted. Long may that sort of thing continue. But uh, really, really, really bad defending. Well, just yeah. Before. Yeah. As a, you know, as a cultured defender yourself... Well, this is it. You could never allow the man just to stand off you like that. Uh, you know, he just stood looking at him. I mean, I, yeah. enjoy, I enjoyed it, but I mean, if I was a Watford fan, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was almost like he just, you know, got written invitation, please cross the ball. Mm. Uh, you it know. was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, I guess that's why we're a good team. You know, I like, I like crosses and you like headers. All right. That's what it is. Okay. Final question. Uh, it comes from East Lower, and I don't know if you've seen this story. Um, I don't know how true it is, but apparently, Lucas Perez's father owns an octopus stall. Okay, in in a London market, I believe in London. Yeah, oh, uh, it's, wow. it comes from um, uh, Guillaume Balaguer, I think, uh, who's who's mm-hmm. let it be known that. That uh, Lucas's father has a fish stall or, so, or something like that. Um, so uh, East Laura wants to know, if you owned a seafood stall at Camden Market, what deceased marine animal would you sell? Uh, sharks. Sharks? Yeah. How are you going to source the sharks? Oh, I didn't know I had to source, I, I didn't know I had to source them. I'll fight them, I'll wrestle them. I'll wrestle the sharks <laughs> out of the sea into onto the stool because you know no one has any empathy for sharks so they'll be happy to buy bits of their deceased flesh. Right. I I like sharks. Do Sh- you? Yeah. I mean you're I do. the first man I've met who likes a shark. Well you actually like them. Yeah, they're brilliant. Sharks are fucking amazing. I love watching sharks and I, cool. I do like all those shark documentaries. I, I watch a lot of those. Yeah, here's the. It's from uh, at the Revista della Liga Twitter account, and Guillaume Balaguer says his father has got an octopus stand in Camden Market. So even more reasons for him to come to London. An octopus stand. 
I mean, octopuses are weird animals. They are. They're pretty cool, though, as well. They're very, very intelligent. And they can, like, make themselves all different kinds of colours and stuff like that. Open jars. Yeah. They're they're tremendous. I mean, they're they're very tasty as well. I'm not a big fan, though, I have to say, of octopus. No? No, not hugely. I like squid, but not octopus so much. Squid's nicer than octopus. It is. It is. Um, so you would you would take sharks, the the killing machines of the sea, and and yes, and, and murder them and and put them on on sale in Camden well, Market. I had to choose one. What what marine animal do you want to murder? Dolphins. Oh, of course. We can have we can have opposing stands here. You yeah. can you can try and hawk your your shark wares, and I will do my bit to rid the world of the evil of dolphins. All right, well, that seems fair enough. You know, because, look, they know shit. They know shit, dolphins, and they know that we know that they know shit. And every so often, they pop up out of the water and go... They're watching us. They're fucking... I'm telling you. You you know, people talk about the various threats that exist around this world, but one day, one day, they'll say, fuck, he was right. When the dolphin uprising begins... And we're all enslaved by these, like, oily bastards. Fuck them. Terrible. So I, would, I, I don't know whether dolphins taste good, though. People don't eat dolphins, do they? They eat swordfish. Swordfish, you know, quite similar to, to dolphins. that's a fish. A dolphin's a mammal. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The Japanese eat dolphin meat, apparently. Right. They do bad, bad things to dolphins. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah and I'm yeah. not saying I would sanction that. You know, I couldn't couldn't necessarily do that. But, you know, the ones that get caught in the tuna nets. How about that? Yeah, exactly. Right. If they're already in trouble. Um, dolphin meat, apparently, is... Disgusting. Op- op- yeah, and often contaminated with dangerous pollutants. So, steer clear. See? Do you know why? Because dolphins, quite deliberately, go around eating nuclear waste and other things so they can become... poison. Yeah, to become mutants. So they can become mutants, like the fucking X-Men and shit. That does make sense, actually, that you put it like that. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, just don't be under any illusions as to the, the nefarious, dastardly plans of dolphins. If you're feeling sorry for dolphins today, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be a fool, guys. Don't be lulled in <laughs> by their squeaks and smiles. All right. Well, look, we're going to leave it there. Um, we probably will have an cast on Friday because the transfer uh, window will close. So I think we mm. might have a, a kind of a discussion about where the squad is and what we've done and everything else uh, this Friday, even though it is an interlaw. Of course, we'll have a transfer deadline day live blog on Ars Blog News for all the uh, comings and goings that are going to happen from an Arsenal point of view. And James and I will be here next Monday to talk about hopefully how much money we've spent and which one of us was uh, closer uh, to guessing how much we were, uh, we were going to splash out this window. Lovely. And then the winner gets the amount that they said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Million pounds Brilliant. Oh, that sounds fucking deadly. It's great. <laughs> Think of all the dolphins I'll be able to buy with that. Exactly. All right. Uh, until then, then, have a good one. Okay. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>